Will Iran's aggression continue in the Middle East, or will President Biden's policies deter it? This is Brief Before Impact. This is Brief Before Impact with me, your host, Matt Parker. Welcome, everyone, to episode number eight. Very excited to be discussing tonight's episode as we'll be talking about Iran and the threat, if any, does it pose to the United States? This comes out in the fallout of President Biden ordering a missile launch against Iranian-backed militias in Syria. So first tonight, we're going to discuss how can we as just American citizens understand modern Iran, how it has evolved over the last few decades. Secondly, how ter- uh, Iran utilizes terrorism to particularly deter U.S. influence and U.S. presence in the Middle East. Third, We'll discuss how Iran could potentially, if they had the desire to deploy a weapon of mass destruction inside the borders of the United States, how they would acquire that weapon, build it, and actually detonate or execute it inside the borders. And lastly, we're going to wrap up and conclude with a comparison between President Trump's peace deals that he made between Israel and Bahrain, Israel and the United Arab Emirates, and compare that to President Biden's recent public comments, his intentions, at least as far as we can understand them, to be uh, in the region and particularly against Iran. So before we jump into all that, let's take a quick ad break and then we'll start the episode. Okay, welcome back everyone. Lots to jump into, so let's just go ahead and get started here. Let's give a just quick description of Iran's goals, how they kind of came to those goals, and an overview of where they're why they pursue nuclear weapons and how that's such a talking point in the news where we always tend to see in the mainstream media. So I just want to highlight a few quotes from a book titled Coping with a Nuclearizing Iran. Now, this was published by the Rand Corporation in 2011. Iran views the United States as its principal ideological geopolitical enemy. U.S. hostility towards Iran is driven by cultural and ideological factors and the broader objective of keeping the Middle East under United States control. Okay, so that's how Iran views the United States. Now, where do nuclear weapons come into play? Iran's pursuit of nuclear weapons capability is primarily motivated by regime survival. Iran's conventional military capabilities are no match for the United States military might. The speedy U.S. overthrow of Taliban in 2001 and Saddam Hussein in 2003 demonstrated the Iranian regime's vulnerability. U.S. failure to do anything comparable about North Korea underscores the utility of a nuclear deterrent. So this is why Iran is pursuing nuclear weapon development. They do not want to end up like uh, the Taliban regime in Afghanistan or Saddam Hussein in 2003 in Iraq, and they've seen how North Korea has been able to deter any type of overt uh, American uh, military conflict on their peninsula because it has the uh, nuclear weapons. So that's where Iran views itself, and that's why it pursues uh, nuclear weapon development. Let's move into how Iran has pulled on different levers, particularly utilizing terrorist organizations to deter uh, American interest in American expansion in the Middle East uh, as a whole. So this is according to Brookings Institute. After the 1979 Islamic Revolution, Tehran used a wide range of terrorist organizations to export its revolution and to assassinate Iranian dissidents around the globe. 
Tehran played a major role in forming Hezbollah and helping it conduct attacks in Lebanon, including such devastating attacks as the 1983 bombings of the U.S. Marine barracks and embassy, which together killed more than 300 people. Indeed, before September 11, 2001, Hezbollah had killed more Americans than any other international terrorist organization. So let's put that into context. Tehran views the United States as its main adversary. It knows it cannot defeat the United States on a pure conventional military conflict. Therefore, it utilizes uh, terrorist organizations, especially Hezbollah, which it had formed, in order to um, push back against the United States. So now we have that context. I want to move into how I view the most overt threat that I believe Iran poses to actual American lives, particularly in, with inside the borders of the United States. As I just mentioned, we've seen Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed terrorist group, attack our, our military abroad, particularly in the, the 1983 bombings, but we've also seen this in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen. Okay, how do I view that this could potentially reach our borders? I want to move into how Iran has actually been operating in the Latin America since the 1980s. And I just want to highlight a report from the Small Wars Journal uh, discussing this. Iran began to increase its presence in Latin America after 1980 when the Shah was disposed, deposed and Ayatollah Khomeini Islamic regime came to power. Since then, Iran has penetrated the governmental structure of many Latin American nations. Revolution is only a part of Iran's plan for Latin America. Its hidden aim is to destabilize the region, subjugate all the Latin American nations, and create a crisis that will be perceived as a threat to the national security of the United States. Iran wants to target its adversary, the United States, from a seat of power in Latin America, and the left-leaning Latin American so-called democracies are its complicit facilitators. And I'll conclude with this last point. The weaknesses of most Latin American countries are the corruption and violence that result from organized crime. And these activities have been very effectively exploited by Iran. Okay, so we've laid out how Iran views the United States, how they utilize terrorism to accomplish the goals. Now they are in our own backyard in Latin America. They've been there since the 80s. Let's get to the the biggest issue and threat as I see it uh, with the scenario that the scenario that we just laid out. How can Iran target Americans inside American borders and do so in the most devastating effect? If we're just wargaming and being hypothetical, in my mind that is smuggling a weapon of mass destruction inside the borders of the United States and targeting a main American city. Now, this is this subject and this idea has been studied and pursued by many. I want to just provide a little context of how many think this could potentially happen. I'm going to break this down into some phases of acquiring a WMD, developing and employing that WMD by terrorist organizations. And this is uh, highlighting a report titled Strategic Insights. This actually comes from the journal uh, at the Naval Postgraduate School, uh, written by Phil Williams. Breaks this down into three phases. Phase one, the acquisition of the nuclear materials by a terrorist organization. Okay, how would they do that? First of all, they're looking to acquire highly enriched uranium or weapons of great plutonium. 
how can they actually acquire these things if, uh, as a terrorist organization, how could a terrorist organization acquire these things? A couple of ways. One, you could just buy it on the black market. Uh, two, you could raid a nuclear facility. And I say those kind of lightly. Those aren't easy to do necessarily, but this is kind of the method or approach that a terrorist organization could uh, utilize to get a hold of a WMD, or at least the material to create it, which moves into phase two, creation, creation of a WMD. Now, this is not an easy task, but it is certainly not beyond the global jihad movement with its access to financial resources that could be used both to find a safe haven and to acquire the scientific and technological expertise necessary to ensure the successful development of at least a rudimentary nuclear weapon. And lastly, let's finish with phase three, the end game, moving a WMD into an American city. How would this actually happen? How could they bring that into the United States? A couple of ways. A terrorist organization could directly or using the smuggling expertise of organized crime. Uh, the terrorists could exploit the routes and method methods drug traffickers and people smugglers have developed or look for alternatives of their own. With the latter alternative, their menu of choices is extensive. The prospects of a successful smuggling of a weapon of mass destruction into the United States uh, sadly remains unacceptably high. Now, there's a lot of nuances to how a terrorist organization, particularly sponsored by Iran, could accomplish all that I just laid out. But I want to emphasize the point that one, it's certainly not impossible, and secondly, it's, it's certainly probable that this could happen uh, if a chain of events take place. And this is why I wanted to talk about this subject and why, as American citizens, we need to be vigilant in knowing what our leaders are doing to deter Iran and its efforts uh, to target American uh, citizens abroad and potentially within our own borders. So lastly, we're gonna move into uh, peace deals that President Trump put together between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, as well as Israel and Bahrain, what the purpose of those were, not going to go into all the details, but just what was the end goal, and kind of compare that to President Biden's administration and its approach to Iran. So the American leaders, they know that Iran uses terrorism. Uh, it's one of the levers that Iran can pull on and push back against the uh, United States. Like you can, might ask, Matt, if American military is so overwhelmingly powerful and could easily defeat Iran's military. So what's the issue here? Uh, it's not nearly as simple as just being a armed conflict between two adversarial powers, especially when we evaluate how Iran has operated in countries like Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, utilizing asymmetric and unconventional weapons in, in that type of warfare. And I'm, let me just highlight, for example, the uh, evolution and employment of uh, improvised explosive devices, IEDs for short, or just roadside bombs, if you never heard the term. Many of the different terrorist groups in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria as well have been trained by uh, I Iranian security intelligence services to employ, to build and employ IEDs. So this is how they push back against the American military power, they, who they can never defeat, you know, face-to-face, -face, peer to peer. Now, that we have that context of why Iran utilizes terrorism, this, this kind of lays the groundwork of why tr President Trump's administration 
pursued these peace deals, utilizing Israel as the the hub of the peace deals and reaching out to UAE and Bahrain. How do we been? How does Israel and the United States and its allies benefit from these peace deals when it when it comes to deterring Iran? Just highlighting uh, a report according to BBC, Israel's home bases are a long flight from Iran. Now you compare that to the UAE or just across the waters of the Persian Gulf, that would be highly significant if there was a return to talk of airstrikes against Iran's nuclear sites. Israel, the U.S., Bahrain, and the UAE have a range of new options, and the Iranians have found their room for maneuver has been greatly reduced. So that is how the Trump peace deals contain and deter Iran. And that's a very one point to articulate, but I I think you get the idea that was the intent behind these goals and these deals, and this is one example of how Iran is being deterred. Now, let's quickly compare that to uh, what we've already seen with the Biden administration and what potentially we could expect uh, in the future. And the timing of this episode I'm recording, uh, which is on uh, February 25th, was actually fairly fortuitous whenever uh, the events of today were laid out. A report just I saw a couple hours ago titled that, uh, according to New York Post, U.S. launches first airstrike under Biden against Iran-backed target in Syria. So the U.S. on Thursday launched an airstrike in Syria that targeted facilities used by Iran-backed militia groups and the first military action taken by the Biden administration. The Pentagon said the strike was in retaliation for a February 15th rocket attack against a U.S. military base at Erbil International Airport in northern Iraq that killed a U.S.-led coalition contractor and left others wounded, including an American service member. So Biden launched this attack against Iranian-backed militia groups in retaliation for the attacks on the Erbil International Airport where Americans were killed. So Biden has taken a, an aggressive approach and already launching an attack against Iranian um, militia-backed groups. Let's ref- look at what I, Biden has said prior to the election and what he would do with Iran and kind of what he's pursued since then on more of the strategic diplomatic level. So if we can think back, President Obama uh, signed the uh, Iranian deal, which I'm giving the, the really bullet points here. What it did was remove economic sanctions on Iran and allowing them to, to curb their nuclear development weapons. So that was the deal. The U.S. and its allies will remove economic sanctions on Iran so as long as Iran stops developing nuclear uh, weapon or technology for the development of nuclear weapons. Trump came into office, said, this is not a good deal. I'm pulling out of it entirely, and we're going to come up with something else. And I think we can just make the leap here that that something else ended up being these peace deals with UAE and Bahrain, and if had he won a second term, potentially more countries in that region. Let's look at what Biden has done and what he has pledged to do, I should say. And this is according to the Associate Press. Biden took office pledging to reverse Trump's pullout from the deal, the, the deal being Iranian deal, which gave it billions of dollars in sanctions relief in exchange for curbs on its nuclear program. Just last week, Biden delivered in at least three ways. 
One, he agreed to return to multinational talks with Iran about reviving the original deal. Secondly, he rescinded Trump's determination that all UN sanctions on Iran must be restored. And lastly, he eased the onerous travel restrictions on Iranian diplomats posted to the United Nations. Yet Iran has held firm to demands that it will not respond to anything less than a full lifting of the sanctions Trump reimposed. So that's what we can evaluate, at least Biden has pledged to do and what he's already done in order to can restore the uh, Iranian deal that was signed between the Obama administration and Iran as compared to the Trump administration who completely removed or pulled out of that deal entirely. What do I think is the right course of action? I want to conclude the episode, which is kind of giving my straight opinion and a little bit of evaluation from some others and where they see this as well. I lean into the approach of if at the end of the day, we, we as Americans view Iran to be a, a real strategic threat, uh, both to American citizens and American service members abroad and potentially within our own borders, then ultimately I want policy that is effective at deterring Iran. That is the ultimate goal. The political left takes one approach, the political right takes another. And this is, this is how it goes in democracy. I believe that removing sanctions and billions of dollars of sanction relief in exchange for curbs on a nuclear program is not the wisest approach because we had already seen in a, an Israeli intelligence uh, development a few years ago that Iran, despite being a part of this sanction relief deal, was cheating and still developing nuclear technology. So my instincts is, well, we're giving them billions of dollars in relief, yet they're cheating on the deal. What good does that do us? especially when it limits America's ability and its allies to uh, utilize our, our economic tools to deter, them from, deter Iran from doing so. So I believe the Trump administration was pursuing the right course of action by working with partners in the region, benefiting those partners in multiple areas beyond just deterring Iran from a military perspective, but also including business and economic development uh, deals between Israel and these other countries, UAE and Bahrain. I believe that approach by shoring up your alliances and building out these relationships that are mutually benefited from putting Iran on its heels is the better approach. So that's my opinion based upon what we have seen over the last several years. Obama administration, the Trump administration, now the Biden administration, I believe the data would point to that is the correct course of action. There's a lot of varying opinions on it, but that is mine. So I wanted to be candid and share that with you. I want to close with just highlighting an opinion that's aligned with mine. This is coming from uh, Mark Dubowitz and Ben Tableau at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. The Biden administration's strategy for getting Iran to play ball clearly involves making upfront concessions to Tehran, including delinking the nuclear and regional threat it poses. In contrast, Trump's maximum pressure policy was characterized by forthright condemnations and more direct responses to Iran-backed aggression. Team Trump also believed that sanctions relief should occur only in exchange for a wholesale change in behavior by the Islamic Republic, 
that included nullifying its regional threats. Biden's approach draws directly from Obama's playbook, turning a blind eye to regional aggression and offering economic relief to signal support for engagement to get back to the negotiating table. And it's unfortunate because the result is sure to be the same as before as well. An overly deferential and defective deal that offers Iran patient pathways to nuclear weapons because its restrictions eventually sunset, while handcuffing Washington from using its most powerful economic punishments and doing nothing to stop the improvement of the clerical regime's warfighting abilities or that of its proxies. So that concludes tonight's episodes. I hope this was uh, useful in understanding, having a greater context of who Iran is as a country, what their goals are, how, I, as I see it, they both are a tactical threat to our American interest and American servicemen and citizens in the region, as well as a strategic threat potentially to uh, cities and American citizens within our own borders. Thank you for joining us for tonight's episode. Hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. I am Matt Parker. This is Brief Before Impact. Impact.